Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Unemployment, job loss, an uncertain economy, these are all facts that we face literally around the world right now. But I don't want any of that to leave you feeling hopeless. There has never been a better time to learn how to negotiate your salary and make a career change without taking a salary cut. 
And our guest, Adenola Adeshola, is bringing you what you need to make that happen right now. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Come to Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Whatever you're saving up for, a CD from Sandy Spring Bank lets you grow your savings at a guaranteed rate. Right now, earn interest at 4.5% APY on an 8-month CD special or 4.25% APY on a 14-month CD special. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com slash cdspecials. Minimum opening deposit to earn the annual percentage yield is $500 for the 8-month CD special and $2,500 for the 14-month CD special. Member FDIC. First, please know that you are all in my heart. I have heard from so many of you that are struggling right now, either with job loss or with sickness of yourself or a loved one or maybe a friend. And I am very happy to report that I am finally on the mend after four weeks of being sick with what most likely was coronavirus. Although in my state, they wouldn't test me. They just told me to do isolation until it passed. And this is my second day of being able to talk without coughing incessantly. So I am so excited to be able to be here with you. So yes, there are going to be a lot more episodes, just like I promised, now that I can talk. Uh, and I want to bring more content to you and just hang out with you more, if that's okay with you. So our guest today, Adenola, is a career strategist. She's also a Forbes contributor. And she loves helping professionals learn how to secure new positions they love at companies they love. And I think that that is like the winning combination. Her clients have landed interviews and jobs at Tiffany & Co., Macy's, CBS, BP, tons of other Fortune 500 companies. And I think her tips really resonate always, but especially right now. And I want to encourage you to not let this time in history discourage you from rising up. So without further ado, let's hear from Adenola. I love that you describe yourself, you call yourself a job quitter, but in the same sentence, you also call yourself employee of the year, which I just think is like <laughs> such a great, you know, mix there, balance there. There's there's a freedom, right, in, in being a job quitter. There is a freedom. And I think that I'm so happy that in the last few years, people have learned to embrace that more often than in the past, because I think before it used to be really taboo to quit your job. And I mean, you know, we grew up in a place where our parents were working at the same place for years on end. And so I think it was not something that people thought was a good thing to be able to say, I'll even want to quit. But I think I'm, you know, as time has gone on, it's become more normalized. So I'm really happy about that. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, it's funny sometimes 
uh, my parents, I should back way up. My parents were a lot older when they had kids. And so Mm -hmm. I have an older brother. And so my parents are now like mid late seventies and they look at the world like very differently than I do, which is great, right? We need those like different perspectives, but sometimes we'll like drive by a parking lot midday and my dad will be like, what are all these people doing at the gym at 12 o'clock on a Tuesday? I'm like, dad, times have changed. Things are different. (laughs) Right. But I think I think it's interesting because a lot of us like still have that like push and pull about we think we're supposed to work for the same company for X amount of years. And yet that's just not the reality. So like, how do you begin to break down some of those uh, maybe like old standing beliefs maybe that you have from your parents or whoever raised you about what your job or what your career, I should say, is like supposed to look like? I love this question because so one thing about me is that I'm Nigerian American. So when you're Nigerian, there you <laughs> there's like certain <laughs> things that you have already been kind of born into that you have to do. And so one of that is like when it comes to your career, you're expected to either be a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, engineer, or a failure. And so wow, I- <laughs> that's that that is the laundry list. Okay. I would say for maybe a lot of cultures it's 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 that laundry list as well, but that's fascinating. Right. And so immediately, like, you know, when college became a thing, everyone was expecting me to go into science and to, you know, go into medicine and be pre-med and all of these things that I wasn't interested in. And ironically, I knew right away from high school, sophomore year of high school, my English teacher kind of told me like, you know, I think you should go into PR. And I was like, I think I should. (laughs) And so I like, (laughs) I did research on it and I was like, I think I really like this. And so from sophomore year of high school, I knew that I was already going to go against the grain. And so I went to college and I was a PR major, minor in psychology, both things that you were like unheard of for a Nigerian kid in, in college. And so I was already kind of the rebel from the jump. And so it became, I I was already in a place where I was doing something that was so different from what most people were doing. Most of my cousins and friends that were also Nigerian were going to be nurses, were going to be engineers. And I, even them, they were like, what is PR? (laughs) so, So yeah, so I had already began to like break those limiting beliefs from early on. And so when I ended up getting a job, in, you know, PR, that was kind of like the beginning of people starting to see like, okay, you can have a level of success outside of those standards that most Nigerians think that you have to be. So I would say I've always been like, you know, going against the grain before I even knew that I was really going against the grain. <laughs> yeah. How did your parents uh, or your family deal with that? Like, were there tensions between you? Because obviously you didn't check some of those boxes. Right. It's funny because my mom said like I prepared her early on. So to even back it up a little (laughs) bit more, (laughs) growing up, so I always say, joke around that I wanted to be a pediatrician until I was eight years old. And so after eight, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't like blood. I don't want to deal with this. And so from there, I kind of started like this early exploration of what's out there. And so I would go to my mom like maybe once a year and be like, okay, mom, I want to be a chef. And she'd be like, "Mm, no. (laughs) And I'll be like, okay, mom. I like, I remember I got like a a stretch book or a sketchbook at like like one of our local grocery stores, H-E-B. And I was like, okay, mom, I want to be a fashion designer. And she was like, "Mm, 
no. Not going to work. Not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was constantly going to her with like these like far-fetched, like not that, that that is not possible, but again, coming from that, that background, it was like not heard of. And so I was going to her with all of these different things and she was just like, nah, like this isn't going to work. And finally, when I decided that I wanted to be in PR, she was kind of more so open to it because it wasn't being a chef or a fashion designer or something that she thought in her mind was so, yeah. you know, going to lead to failure. So she was a lot more supportive of it. And I was really happy to see that. And I would say that my parent, both my parents were both supportive of it, but the people who weren't supportive were aunts and uncles who would hear about it and be like, are you sure? Um, they would really be demeaning. Like I remember right. I, one person told me like, you know, I had, they kind of give me like an example story of someone they knew who did something other than the top four. And they were like, yeah. And then now she's a waitress. And I was wow. like, and um, not that being a waitress, there's nothing right. wrong with being and a waitress that if that's your calling. Nothing wrong with that, right? But the way that it was said to me was in a way that you're yeah. not going to be successful. You know, like if you do this, you're going to fail. And so it got to a point in my life where I kind of started telling people like, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm, nerd, I'm a, ner- a nursing major. Like I would just kind of tell them that just to get them off my back because the disappointment that people would share with me was just becoming very unnecessary. I wouldn't say that it really got to me, but it definitely made me feel like I don't want to share this with people who aren't even contributing to my success anyway. And so I might as well just kind of circumvent the conversation. So it was a lot of that happening, especially in my college years. (laughs) And what I'm just, as you're telling this story, this is kind of like popping in my head, like what sort of money mindset, I guess, did you grow up with then attached to those specific careers? I mean, is it is it really that language that if you don't go in these specific careers, like you're not going to have money, you're, you know, you're, like, you know, the laundry list then then goes down sort of the money side? Like what what sort of, I guess, money beliefs were attached to that? That's such an interesting question, because when I think about it, I guess I really didn't allow myself to really define myself by what money I'm going to make if I do this thing, which is weird yeah. because now as an adult, you're like, of course you need to be making money. But I think because I knew so early on before salary and bills were even a thing that I wanted to do this thing, it wasn't that money was something that I considered a factor in if I should do this or not. But I do feel like, so my mom was actually an entrepreneur. She's a business owner. She has multiple businesses. And so it's funny because obviously she's not in the top four of what people said you should be doing. And so I think growing up, I had another perspective of money that outweighed what other people said when it came to like your standard career. And so because my mom was an entrepreneur, she always ingrained in me that if you want to make money, if you want to be successful, then you always have to solve someone's problems. You know, whether that's being, you know, an employee or being an employer or, you know, having your own business, whatever that case is, always figure out how to solve other people's problems. And so early on, that was always like the superior thought when it came to how can I make money rather than feeling like I was going to be pigeonholed if I didn't go into the other things that people said were the, you know, the guaranteed money factors. And for me, I think being around 
so many people who were unhappy. So like, again, like, you know, you grow up, you, people tell you this is what you're supposed to be doing. It's the career you should be in. And a lot of my friends followed that path and were a little scared to break against that or like go against their parents' wishes. And I think because I saw so many people that I knew that were my age, so unhappy in their careers, despite the fact that they followed their parents' wishes, the money didn't even bother me. If I wasn't going to make money, if I was going to make money, because I just didn't want to be as unhappy as them. And it later came about that as they saw me kind of doing what I grew to be able to do, they also kind of broke away from those, those thoughts and started doing their own thing as well. So yeah, money was just never really a thing when it came to whether I should do what I wanted to do or do what like the top four that people said I should be doing. That's interesting. That's, I, I really like that. I, I like that answer because uh, it gave you this freedom to be able to sort of move throughout your career. And I'm curious, I'm sure there there is somebody listening who maybe they're they're like yourself, they're either an immigrant or they come from a strong culture about these are the certain careers you're supposed to be in and they know that that is not the careers they're supposed to be in. How would that person be able to like find their own place and yet obviously still respect your parents or people who raised you, but really be able to own like your own skill sets? Do you have any, have any advice for that? Yeah. So for me, like I said, I have no idea why this career exploration started so early for me, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it allowed me to just be curious. And so I find that a lot of times when like, there's like this quote that I won't quote because I'm probably going to say it wrong, but it's about like, you know, a lot of times when it comes to finding yourself, what you really need to do is unlearn the things that are not right about you. And so Mm, I think a lot of times that when people realize that they don't want to do a certain thing or they realize that this doesn't fulfill me. Sometimes you're lucky to know this is the other thing that does fulfill me. And sometimes, you know, you just have to do a little bit more to figure out what that other thing is for you. And so there's two ways to go about it because when you aren't sure what that other thing is, but you know that the thing you're doing right now isn't fulfilling, then you definitely have to put on a lens of curiosity to discover what that next thing is. And so that can be a little overwhelming, especially if you're like type A, like me, because yeah, you're I'm like, right there. I'm in your same camp. <laughs> because you're like, I need to figure this out. And you're trying to do everything you can. And you can feel like you have to have like your 10 year, 25 year game plan together before you take a next step. But When you're in a place where you don't know exactly what you want to do next, you have to have a balance of curiosity, but also knowing that you don't have to have everything figured out. Like trying to figure out your life's purpose is incredibly hard. And so I find that when people are trying to figure out what their purpose is or, you know, what they're supposed to be doing on earth, that's a big task to figure out. And I always say that you never know who you're going to be 10 years from now. And the fact that you're even in the place that you are now, you probably didn't know, you know, six years ago that you would even be feeling so unhappy about what you're doing right now. And you you, you may not know who you're going to become to want something else later anyway. So think about what you want to do now. Think about what excites you now as you use your lens of curiosity to discover and become more aware of what else is out there. And so- I I like that. I'm I'm actually (laughs) actually going to take that advice myself because I happen to be a- 
perfectionist. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I tend to have great ideas, but sometimes I hold back out of just like fear that, oh, I ha- I don't have the whole puzzle put mm-hmm. together, the whole thing figured out. And, right. and, and yet a lot of my career has been around taking risks, right. taking different risks and not really knowing like what it was going to look like at the end. I think this podcast is probably a great example. I had no idea that I would be doing this podcast five years right. later from, from starting. So hopefully if somebody is listening and they're they're in our camp, <laughs> hopefully like, you know, you're giving them, hopefully I can give them permission to, to not have to have the whole thing figured out. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you don't even have yourself figured out, you know, like no. you don't even know who you're going to be. <laughs> Life changes you so fast and You never know the experiences that will change you, the things that you will become aware of. And all you know is who you are right now. And so for me, it's like you just owe yourself that you have the responsibility to do what you want to do right now because that's all you know. And then when you discover more about you and what you love, then you can adjust and make those changes. But you won't know until you make that change now. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical. If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this, they release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. 
The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. It's Tuesday, and we've got an Ask Shauna, and this one comes from Darren. Darren says, hey, Shauna, thanks for spending time with me over the last few weeks. Okay, so you didn't know, but you've helped my wife and I look at money differently over the last year, and particularly these last few weeks. We've gone back and listened to older episodes to remember tips you've given, and I can't thank you enough. We have some credit card debt, to be honest. It's not something I'm proud of, but it's where we're at. We've been trying to figure out how to pay it off ASAP and haven't done a great job, but this pandemic has helped us commit to paying it off fast. Can you give me some of your amazing tips that we can use or think about right now? Thank you again and keep the episodes coming. Darren, yes, my friend. I love hanging out with you and your wife through the episodes. I love that I can be a friend during this time and that you're also a friend to me because sometimes podcasting is really lonely. (laughs) I podcast in a room in an enclosed space, and I'm just really staring at a computer. So it's nice to know there's somebody out there. I feel you with the credit card debt, and I've had a few people reach out with questions like yours. So hopefully this question can help a lot of people. So here are some tips that I've got. All right. The first one is everyone spends time focusing on how much money you can save, but I really think you need to focus on where you're spending your money. So what I mean by that is creating a system where you are tracking your money outflows. You're categorizing those outflows and then you're looking at them. You're really looking at where your money's going and you're able to then decide, okay, maybe we don't want to spend this much here. Maybe we don't want to spend that much there. There are creative ways then that you start finding. It's like putting a puzzle together where then you can direct money that you were otherwise spending somewhere else towards that credit card debt payoff. So it sounds so simple and it actually is so very simple. And yet most people completely overlook the step. And yet this is like the pot of gold. This is where the magic lies. If you're really consistently looking at your outflows and you're making these educated uh, assumptions, I guess I should say at the end of the month, like, 
okay, maybe I could be better here or better here, or maybe I could reroute some of this money, or maybe I don't need that subscription right now. It's not just in stopping those expenses, but the power is then shifting that money towards your credit card payoff. You see what I'm saying? Okay, number two, you need a system. You have to have a system. And there are two ways to pay off credit card debt. And I've talked about these a lot, but let's just do a little refresher. The first is the lowest balance method, and the second is the highest interest rate. You may have heard of those of Snowball, Avalanche, but let's just call them what they are for simplicity's sake. So I want you to pick one and stick with one. So lowest balance, it's pretty simple. You look at all of your different debts, and you're looking for the one with the lowest balance. You're going to pay the minimum payment on all your other credit cards or loans, whatever that may be, and you're going to direct any of this extra cash that you found towards that one card with the lowest balance until it's paid off. When it's paid off, you're going to take that chunk of cash and roll it to the next lowest, right? So you're going to create this system where money is stacking upon money to rapidly pay off your debt. The other way, the highest interest rate, same exact philosophy, but instead you're looking for the card with the highest interest rate. Now, if you're a math person, obviously highest interest rate is going to win. It's going to save you a little bit more money. But if you're a mindset person, I like lowest balance a lot because you can see progress. You can see things happening. And when I see a debt getting paid off, I'm more motivated to stay with the strategy. So it's up for you to decide which works best for you. But first, you must know your interest rates how much the minimum payments are on your debts, and how much extra cash you have each month to drive towards the strategy. That is super key. And number three, just be really creative about ways to earn extra cash. There are still a lot of ways to do this now. Even if you live in a state like I do that is virtually shut down, what can you do online? There are, there's all types of ways that you can earn extra money that you can put into this credit card debt payoff strategy. Thinking about bonuses at work or salary increases, don't spend that money. Instead, put it towards this debt payoff. And number four, depending on how much you have, it can take a while to pay off credit card debt. You are running a marathon, not a sprint, and it really takes this daily mindset to stay focused. There unfortunately aren't too many shortcuts here, except, of course, if you win the lottery, you're coming to a big sum of money, but you can't bet on either of those. So slow and steady really wins the race. And just day in, day out, say, what can I do today that will make a difference with my credit card debt? Is it that I can make a better choice with one of my outflows? Is it that I need to change my mindset? Is it that I just need to look at my uh, expenses and I need to see, okay, where can I maybe make little adjustments? Is it that I need to put my strategy in place, right? Every day, just do a little something. So I know this time that we're in right now can be really confusing, but if you have an Ask Shauna or a success story, I really, really want to hear from you. So you can head over to mmoneypodcast.com. Right on the homepage, there's an Ask Shauna section, or I'll have a link in the show notes. Super easy. Just click the link. And another thing, you also can always go to the show notes. They're filled with all sorts of things, links, more information about the episode, but I definitely want to answer your question. Tell me about like the evolution from walking in like the PR career world and then making this the shift to being you call yourself like a millennial career strategist. Like, tell <laughs> me, like, what is that? How did you make this shift, and and what exactly is a, a career strategist? 
Right. And so like, it's funny because this is the same thing we just spoke about. Like on that same note, I had no idea that I was going to be on this path. You know, as I mentioned, like my mom was an entrepreneur, but I also saw like how stressful it could be and the ups and downs. And, you know, I never was like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Although I did have like that thing in middle school where I was selling candy and chips. (laughs) (laughs) I, (laughs) I never thought that that would be my life as an adult. And so when I graduated college, I landed a, a, my dream job three days after graduating. I was at a global PR firm working in the global chairman's office, wow. you know, working on their like com- his confidential clients, working on like his social media presence. So many things that I didn't even think I was going to get to be able to do when I immediately graduated in college. And so that was like a dream, of course, and like every recent college grad's dream. <laughs> and it was, you know, great at first. And then it became not so great. So along the line, you know, I was able to achieve a lot of different things. I had great experiences, but as time went on, I found myself in a really toxic work environment and I no longer had a supportive boss. I didn't feel like I was progressing in my career in the way that I wanted to. I, it was a really depressing time in my life because I had a lot of people who started with me who were moving up and getting the changes that I wanted. Mm, yeah. And it was like, wait, why am I not moving up when I'm hearing that I'm bringing these results? I'm hearing that I'm adding value, but I'm not moving forward. And I just kept getting like the runaround of like, oh, let's wait three more months. Let's wait six more months. And it wasn't, I just felt really complacent and like I had all of this to give that I couldn't really give in this environment. And that was when I realized, okay, I need to make a change. And I realized from there that I needed to make it as quickly as possible because the (laughs) investment that I thought I was going to have at this company isn't happening in the way that I thought. And so that was when I decided, you know, I was going to get a new job and it really happened because I remember the last time that I, you know, you you probably can relate, you know, and a lot of people are listening probably can where you're like, I'm going to quit. And then you're like, no, it's a good day today. So I guess I should just stay. Yes, (laughs) totally. Oh my gosh. And then you have like a really bad day and you're like, no, I need to get the hell out of here. Like you're like, I gotta go. And so I had a really bad day where I thought I was going to get a promotion and I was told yet again to wait another couple of months. And I was like, you know what? I got to go. And so from that decision, I was able to land a new job within seven weeks. And a lot of my colleagues felt the same way, that they were unhappy, that they felt stuck and, you know, not really progressing the way they wanted, but they didn't know how to do that. And not only did my colleagues feel that way, I had a lot of friends who had great jobs, but still felt like they were not really utilizing their full potential, but didn't know how to land that new job. And so they started coming to me and like, you know, how did you do it? Like, what worked for you? Like, help me with this, help me with that. And I remember um, I had a friend who was like, what subject line should I send to this, you know, hiring manager? And I was like, you know what? I think I need to make something from this. Like, I think I need to like put all of these like resources and things together. And so, yes. you know, that was you were getting that like, that like <laughs> tap on the shoulder of like, hmm, this is something you should probably do. Right, because a lot of people at the time, like there wasn't a lot of information even online that, was giving you like the concrete specific things that you needed to do to impress hiring hiring managers and get a new job as quickly as possible. Like there was like some articles would give you like what you needed to know, but not everything you needed to know. And of course it's free advice. So, you know, you can't expect them to give you everything, but it was really hard information to find. And so I found that there wasn't a lot of people sharing that. And because I had that knowledge that helped me progress, it just became something that naturally 
was something that people wanted to know. And I was happy to share because I knew how much I struggled in the beginning to make that happen. So what are some of those secrets? Like, what are some of those secrets to get a job without without having a salary cut, without waiting a year and, and burning through all your savings? Like, do you are you able to share any of those gems? Yes. Why not? <laughs> so one of the things I hear, especially when it comes to making a career change, is that most people think, you know, they got to start from the bottom. And contrary to what, you know, Drake had to do, we do not always have to start from the bottom. <laughs> we do not always have to start from the bottom to get to where we want to go. And so that's the one misconception that I really want people to understand that it's not a must. Like while it does sometimes happen where you do have to start all over when it comes to making that change, it, it isn't a requirement to make the change that you want. And so that's a really important distinction. And so one of the things that I teach my clients is how to play at a level that pays. And so that really is about how to understand your values and your experience and then how to find roles that align with those, what your experience and your values and your expertise so that they're willing to pay you at the amount that you want to be paid. And so obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but the, the summary of it is just really understanding what you bring to the table already. You know, you've already accumulated experience, expertise, skills, accomplishments, and things that another company needs. And while a career change may seem daunting because it doesn't sound as similar to what you were doing before, there are probably roles out there that align with what you already have done, just in a different capacity. And so it's important that you are able to become aware of what that looks like for you and then start to align yourself with those opportunities so that people see you and see your unique value as leverage to them and want to hire you despite the fact that your experience isn't as linear. Mm, that is such great advice. And I get asked this question a lot. I'm curious what um, like what your experience is from working with people. Uh, how do you know how much money you're worth? Because there's always that question, whether when you're interviewing or you're up for some big promotion and somebody puts you on a spot and says, oh, like, what are your salary expectations or what would you like to earn? And I find that like so many people freeze. And I don't know if that's I don't want to stereotype. I know that a lot of my female friends have problems with that where a lot of my male friends don't. So I don't know if that is genetically some differences between <laughs> us or or not, um, or if that is just sort of the random selection of people. But so you, you've, you've come up with like a list of your of your values, of your skills, and, and you know what you bring to table. How do you how do you know how to value that? So it's a interesting answer that I'm going to share with you, because one, you do have to know for yourself what your market value is. And so when it comes to market value, your market value is pretty much like what companies are paying at your level already for the roles that you're wanting. Or let me say it this way. It's what companies are paying employees at your level of education, knowledge, skills, and experience for the work that you're wanting to be doing next. So the key to that is that one, you need to understand not just what employees are paying for the specific role that you're looking for, but what it means for you to also have the level of experience you bring to that role. So while they may pay someone who has the same title um, as you, 
but only two years of experience, a lower salary, if you have, you know, six years of experience with that same title, then you have a lot more value that you're bringing to that role. And so you can qualify for more than that person who is bringing two years of experience. And so it's important to know that distinction for yourself as far as like what you bring to those titles and the roles that you're wanting to contribute to. But then on top of that, you also need to be able to do your research, right? So when it comes to getting clear in your market value, you have to know what your experience is, what that unique thing is that you bring to the table, but then what is the market paying for that? So doing your research by looking at websites like Payscale, Glassdoor, Salary.com, you know, the Brew of Labor Statistics, and just seeing what is out there as far as like what other people are paying in your city for that particular position. And so ideally, you want to just have a ballpark. Obviously, you cannot probably get the exact amount that that specific company is going to pay you for your specific experience. But it's a good idea for you to know if the roles you're going after are already meeting that ballpark or if they're below it. Because if they're below it, then you're most likely lowballing yourself and you're kind of cutting yourself off at the foot because you're already putting yourself in a situation where you're more likely to get a lower salary. But if you're going after roles that are meeting the ballpark of what you discover is your market value, then you have a better chance of having a more open discussion about what you can bring to the table and how your negotiation or your salary should match that. And so that's number one. But then when it comes to ask it, like getting those questions, my secret is to don't answer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially because a lot of people feel like when they're going into interviews, they, you know, they feel like they have to please and prove, you know, and a lot of people don't understand the concept of interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you and that it is a two-way street. So for me, it's about really recognizing that you don't have to share your salary expectations before you land the offer. I always recommend dodging those questions until you get the offer. So that way, when you do see their initial offer, because when you already check that it's in the ballpark of what you're looking for, and then when you get that initial offer, then you can say, okay, this is what they're initially offering me. And because most companies, healthy companies, their initial offer is their lowest offer, then you can begin to negotiate from there. And so that really is the beauty of one, making a career change without having to get a pay cut, because when you know the ballpark of of what you should be looking for, and you make sure that the companies you're applying to are meeting that ballpark, when you get that offer, it should always be around what you were already thinking. And then you can go from, you know, from that to getting a higher salary because you're able to remind them, now that they know that you're the best pick and they want to hire you, why they want why they should hire you and the value you're going to be able to contribute based on how much you should be get be getting paid more of. And I feel like I can hear somebody yelling at me right now who's listening to this episode. Uh, so I feel like I just have to ask. So ask. when you say dodge the question, like, how do you do that in a way that you don't look like a jerk? Like, how do you how do you is there vocabulary yes. around dodging that? Yes. And so, again, when it comes to dodging questions, and I, I totally agree with when you said, like, a lot of times it's maybe your female friends who you have seen have struggled with this. And I, I believe that as well when it comes to like my female clients. A lot of times you feel like you, it's harder for whatever reason to be able to kind of be bold and speak up right. about what you want or what you don't want. Even if you are a bold person, it can feel really uncomfortable. And so it's not about being arrogant. It's totally not about being, you know, abrasive or aggressive. I do not subscribe to that. I think that you 
you can be graceful and confident and still be able to speak up for yourself. And again, that all stems from knowing your value. When you truly know this is the value that I bring and that you're actually going to be a great addition to the team and you're going to actually be able to solve their challenges and really be able to add something to them. You have a more, you have a, you have a different level or a different aura to you that, than a person who feels like they have to take whatever they can get. And so it really starts with that mindset first of like knowing that you are an asset. And then when it comes to the question, it's just about saying something like, you know, salary is not the number one motivating factor for me right now. I'm really excited about the changes and opportunities company and position offers. And I'm sure that when the time is right, if this is a perfect position for both of us, a perfect fit for both of us, we'll decide on a conversation package we're all happy about. And could you tell me a little bit more about the challenges in this role? I read a little bit about XYZ. So so deflect, deflect. Yeah. Deflect so, back yeah. on you, yes. <laughs> Deflect back. But as you can see from even that example, it's not about being like, no, I don't want to talk about it. It's still letting them know, like, I'm really excited about this. This is what I really am enjoying about our conversation thus far about what you guys are looking for. And I would love to learn more about it. And I'm sure that when we decide that it's a fit for both of us, that we'll all, you know, decide on a mutually agreeable compensation. And so showing them, like, you know, I'm excited. And I'm sure that you guys also know know what, you know, how to offer competitive compensation and let's just continue the conversation and talk more about what you guys need. I like that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, you make those words, your own words and in your Mm -hmm. own vocabulary, but I think even just having, even having you just explain that to us, I feel like there's a lot of uh, empowerment in feeling like you can do this, you can walk in, you can deflect, because I know there's a lot of like, it's almost like stage fright anxiety for people because they feel like that question is going to be asked of them and they have no clue what to say. And so right. a lot of times people do is they just throw out like a, number. a really low ball yeah. number <laughs> and then they're kind of stuck in mm-hmm. that place and they're like, you know, in that misery of like, oh my God, I would never take the job for that right. number that just came out of my mouth. So yeah, I feel like there's like a lot of empowerment in giving people those words because that's the piece I feel people are always like, yeah, I know, I know that I should not talk about it, but how, how, how? So <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that. Yes, I am so happy to share that. And again, it really stems from being gracefully confident. And I, I've heard it so many times when you just throw out a number and the next thing you know, like, wait, do I need to like decline this job? Because I do not <laughs> want to take this salary. <laughs> yeah. And another thing I wanted to just talk about, um, you you say like one of the mistakes you should avoid is like awkwardly sending your resume to like friends and friends of friends and just like random strangers asking them to like put a good word in for companies. I know so many people who do this and not not that it's it's wrong or not that it's it's a bad move, but like what is the right way to send out your resume? I think specifically like if you're in that moment of panic, like you need to get a job, how do you go through that process and and do it correctly? So as you can see from some of the answers I've given before, I always start with like your mindset, right? Because I always say like, you can have all the great tactics, but if you don't have the right mindset, you're always going to self-sabotage. And so that's why I always say like, where is your mindset first? And then what do you need to do? So if you're in a state of panic and feeling really desperate, you need to take a step back because a lot of times your panic and desperation isn't going to get you much further 
than if you just took a step back to really think about what you're feeling and to really deal with that, those emotions. Because a lot of times when you're desperate, people smell that, like people see that and it really clouds your ability to show up as the asset that you actually are. And so like if you're in a, in like in a panic and <clears throat> you're really rushing to send out an, an email to all the people you know because you know you woke up that morning and you got a rejection letter, then you're probably going to send a frantic email and it's not going to really convey what you can truly bring to the table from a level of confidence. And so my recommendation is one, if you're in a state of panic and inspiration, take a step back to really address where that's coming from and really move into an abundance mindset. I know, you know, I, t- I work with so many people. I talk to so many people and everyone wants a job as quickly as possible. Like if you get, could, if you could get a job yesterday, you wouldn't even probably be listening to this episode. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> everyone is really wanting that as quickly as possible, but you really have to operate in a state of abundance and recognize that the roles that you really want are already out there and people and companies are looking for your expertise. When people put out job descriptions, one, you have to recognize that those job descriptions are not just there to say like, oh, we want to hire a cool person and have new friends at work. No, they have that job description out there because they are looking to solve a problem. Maybe they are overworked. Maybe they you know, are launching a new product and they need more hands. Maybe they need somebody who can really offer more strategy so that they can overcome their challenges. There is a problem that those job descriptions are solved or need need to be solved. And so you have to really uh, walk through your job search knowing that you're a problem solver. And so with that, when it comes to networking, when you really know what you want and what you want to achieve, then you can mix about maybe half of the people that you consider you should be reaching out to. Because a lot of people feel like they just need to reach out to everyone and anyone and you never know who can get you a job and you just have to keep talking and talking and going to all these networking events. And most times that really isn't the most effective and efficient way to go about putting yourself out there. And so my my advice is to really connect with the right people the right way. And so what that means is connecting with people who are in a line or who are aligned with the roles that you want, who are at the companies that you want to be a part of. And that may mean, that may not mean that there, that may be that you have to reach out to people who aren't people you're already connected to. You may have to reach out to people who you have never met before. But when you're reaching out to people from a place of value, it's a lot more easier to reach out to people you don't know so that you actually get the conversations that you want to have that are going to help you get the opportunities that you're looking to get next. Let's play a little game. Okay. I'm looking at you a year from now. What will your life be like? Where will you be working? What business will you have launched? What mindset change will you have made? What monthly money system will you have in place? There's so many questions, but I want you to use this time as weird as it may seem to rise up, to make yourself better and to become that person you want to be. I'm doing it myself. So I invite you to join me in this process. If you'd love to hear more about Adenola, you can find all of her tips over at our website, employeeredefined.com. And I know she would love to connect and answer any questions that you have, especially right now. So on this podcast, we are changing the language around money to help others unlock the lives they want to live. You are a part of that movement. So I ask you to invite others into the journey. Share this episode with a friend that needs to hear this career advice, that needs some money mindset advice, that really needs to just have a release around money. Invite them in so we can all talk about money in this new, fun, and fresh way. Hey. 
Where are you going? We're not quite finished yet. We just wanted to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money and for helping us create a safe space to talk about money. For more on this episode, check out the show notes and don't be afraid to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Seriously, we love hearing from our Millennial Money family. So send us your rave reviews. We look good in five stars. Just saying. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode.